Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Let's open our Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. I saw on my way in that if you don't have a Bible with you, there are some uh, on the back, back table. We call this study Living It Out. Paul's letter to the Colossians. Now, if you're a Calvary Chapel person, um, I do apologize. You're accustomed to doing what we call consecutive exposition. That just means we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And so stepping in, we're going to have to parachute into Colossians chapter 3. But uh, uh, we'll, we'll, I think you'll, you'll still see the, uh, the benefit of it. We live in interesting times. Very interesting times, and there's a lot of issues going on in the world. And I see Christians um, wrestling with, struggling with many things these days. How do I respond? I mean, our world has been changed quite a bit in the last year or two, uh, although trends have gone in ways that concern believers for a number of years. Um, and I see people, can, how do I handle these things? Now, we're hopefully most of the way through a pandemic, but we got debate about vaccines and masks and we've got people riled up about climate change and we've got things economic that I that's those are the kind of things I follow and I see very concerning things going on political don't even you know we don't even have to go there to get people riled up just mention the word but there's just a lot of things going on in our world today uh, but I would invite you to, to consider what we see here in Colossians 3 this morning as, as ways that we can be living out our genuine faith as Bible believers, as, as followers of Jesus, that should override any of those concerns that seem to be pretty heavy in our, in our, in our lives today. So just to bring you up to speed, Paul's letter to the Colossians, very similar to his other letters, the first half of it basically doctrinal in nature. Um, Paul opens, you know, he'll talk about how he prays for the people, but he really establishes in Colossians 1, who is Jesus? Who is this Jesus? We get some great foundational doctrinal truths about Jesus. Paul talks about really his purpose in ministry. By the time you get to the end of the first chapter, uh, I, I cite chapter 1, verse 28. Paul says, him we preach, Jesus warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man or person perfect or complete in Christ. So Paul says his, his mission is to proclaim the gospel, but then for the people who respond to that gospel, to help them grow up and mature in their, in their faith. And uh, that is continued as you get into chapter 2, verses uh, 6 and 7. As you therefore have received Christ as Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in the faith, in him, established in the faith, as you've been taught abounding in thanksgiving. He closes chapter 2 with some warnings. Don't get veering off into these other things. Don't get distracted by these things. But by the time we get to chapter 3, second half of a Paul letter, <laughs> we get the practical. We get the, what are we going to do about it, right? Very similar to his other letters. You see that trend in Ephesians, for example. So that's where we're going to pick it up, is in, in uh, Colossians chapter, uh, chapter 3. And, and look for this variety of actions that the believer can take in their lives, okay? As Paul is, is challenging these believers how they can live it out, 
Look for a variety of actions. I'm going to try to break this down as we go through and, and, and group those actions into things that you can kind of take with you in different headings. So let's pick up the text and read the first four verses. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died. Your life is hid with, hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So the first thing we see here is about our mindset. The first thing is our mindset. Set your mind on these things. Seek these things that are above, not the things that are on earth. Now, <laughs> Some of you are going to say, well, yeah, you don't know my world, though. I have to deal with the things on this world. I mean, how am I supposed to be a good student? How am I supposed to be a good employee? How am I supposed to be good at what I do every day if I don't focus on those things? That's not what Paul is talking about here. Okay? He's talking about overarching principles, overarching things that will come in and dominate your life. Okay? So this isn't telling the student they don't have to focus on their algebra, okay? By setting your things on things above, not the things on the earth, right? The kid comes home with a C minus in algebra and they say, well, I'm just doing what the pastor said. I'm supposed to be seeking the things above, not this petty algebra stuff on earth, right? That's not what this is talking about, okay? This is talking about things a way of looking at things so that and how we deal with those daily things in life. You know, we could get about the, the directions of how we do that and what does that look like, but Paul doesn't start there. Paul starts with why. Paul starts with why should we seek those things above? Why should we have this different mindset? Did you notice that? That why has to do with you died. You died. Your life is hid with Christ. It's the gospel, folks. It's the very gospel. You can't save yourself, and you're not going to figure out a remedy for all the ills in this world by yourself. It's probably not going to happen, even though you may be very you know, above average in, in your ability to figure things out. The whole foundation lies with the gospel message that we're sinners. We're in need of a savior. And as our life, if we bring our life and we humble ourselves before God and say, God, forgive me, bring me that new life that you promise, we see that that foundation then brings about a change and it brings about a new person. Paul said it earlier in Colossians. You look at chapter 2, uh, you can probably just glance across the page to chapter 12, or chapter 12, chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Um, you're buried with him in baptism. You're also raised with him through faith in the working of God he, who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made alive together with him, having forgiven your trespasses. Okay? So, so Paul says the why behind why we should have a different outlook, a different mindset, goes back to our very salvation. Your life is hid with Christ in God. And then he talks about Christ who is our life. Um, when he appears, you'll be with him, be like him, with him in glory. So there's references here to this whole idea about life. 
And, and time doesn't permit me to do a whole Bible study on this idea of, of life. I mean, you think about uh, Galatians 2.20, right? Um, for, uh, what is it, for we died? Eh, I better get it right here. Misquoting here, Galatians 2.20. For I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Or you can go to the whole idea in the gospel accounts about life. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the, the life. In fact, in John's gospel, Jesus said in chapter 5 of John's gospel, verse 26, if you're a note taker, as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son to have life in himself. So the life we have here, and that Paul is turning us to, say, build this foundation of the way you think, okay? Build this mindset on this new life that you have because of what Jesus has done for you. Hopefully that, that makes sense. And he wraps that up in verse 4, talking about knowing he's going to return. So he's saying, don't, don't just look back to the fact that your salvation is based on, on what Jesus has done and that you're putting your faith and trust in that. Look forward to the fact that you know he's promised he's going to return, right? I mean, he made that very, very clear. I go to prepare a place for you. And he, he was very clear that he will return one day. So whether we are in the generation that sees his return physically or, you know, we die of old age and we're, we're, you know, we just go to, he takes us home on his timing. Either way, we have that to also hook up to the other end of this whole framework, this whole mindset that we, that we should have as believers. So, makes sense? So he's taking us from salvation all the way through to this idea that we, we look long term. Okay? Christians should ha be farsighted. Christians should be farsighted. If we're guilty of having bad vision, it should be that we're farsighted. Hopefully we have clear vision or a different vision. So we have this perspective. We have this mindset. Now, you say, okay, we got the why established. How about the what? What does that look like? Well, for just about all of us, we would say, well, that's Colossians 4, right? In Colossians, a very similar letter, by the way, we read, or we read in verse 8, finally, brethren... This is Philippians 4. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Then it goes on to say, the things you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. So that's what that mindset is to look like. So we're not to get hung up, even though we see injustice in this world and we get things that we feel very strong conviction about saying, hey, I need to I need to get involved in that and speak up. I'm not saying there isn't a place for that, but that has to have an, a foundation under it where we are looking to the Lord and our relationship with the Lord is what drives us in those things. Not just our frustration over some things that are unjust or, or um, not not right. So we see from the Philippians passage the role of the word of God in establishing that, right? Psalm 1. What does Psalm 1 say? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the way of the wicked, stand in the way of the seat of the sinner, or sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is where? His delight is in the law of the Lord. 
on that law he meditates once in a while for an hour on Sunday morning? No, on that law he meditates day and night. So there's a, there's a framework there. You see that? So this is a, in our lifestyle, our way of thinking, we seek the things that are above, not the things that are on earth. So how we navigate our lives starts with this, starts with this mindset, okay? So that's the first thing that's established here. Let's move on to the next uh, set of verses. This is a strong one, verses five through seven, back in Colossians three. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. I was hoping to come here and bring words of encouragement and comfort and joy. But the word here says we're supposed to put something to death. There's supposed to be a time of execution. How do we fit that in? Obviously, we already talked in the previous verses about you died, the whole idea of the gospel, right? A Christian is not someone who simply just goes to church, someone who just tries to do better, live better. A Christian is someone who is a follower of Jesus, a follower of Jesus because they realize that's the only means to have their sins forgiven, is to trust in what Christ did for us on the cross. If you have never done that, I challenge you, make today the day. Make that decision. Say, God, please forgive me for my sin. I want to start that new life of faith, trusting in Jesus. Okay? So we already talked about that part. What's this talking about, though? I don't believe this is necessarily, it may coincide with salvation, but this is talking, he's writing to believers, and he's saying there's things that you need to deal with. So if that first thing is your mindset, just categorize the second thing as deal with it. <laughs> deal with it. Take sin seriously. Don't be overrun by, ruled by, dominated by <laughs> things that you need to get rid of. This is very strong language. Let's look at some of these things. First word there is fornication. It's pornea in the Greek. It's any sexual sin outside of marriage. And that marriage biblically is one man, one woman in a lifetime relationship. Okay? And in one permanent relationship. Okay? Any sexual sin outside of that is what's being talked about. It's a general word in the scripture. Uh, and, and it talks about um, any sexual sin outside of the marriage relationship. Then we move on to what's unclean. And what that means is... is um, Uncleanness is a, in a moral sense, it, it, it's both from our motive and in our living. You get to passion. Now, people are confused about that because, oh, I thought in Christian circles, passion is a good thing. I have a passion for the Lord. Okay, you know, I, I, I get that. But what the word really means is simply, the word is pathos. It means a controlling emotion. So it can be good and bad. But this controlling emotion is an inordinate affection. Okay? So someone has an inappropriate passion. An inappropriate passion. Moves on to talk about evil desire. There we're talking about things like lust and craving. Now work with me. I'm going to take you on a little bit. Maybe I've done this before. But I see a connection here. Okay? All through our Bibles. And, and uh, let's, let's start in, in Genesis 3. Just jot this down if you don't want to follow this, this little 
this little ride, but it's kind of interesting. Genesis 3, verse 6. This is the temptation of Eve. When the woman saw that the tree was, watch for three things, okay? Good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and it was desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit, okay? Three things, right? Good for food, pleasant to the eyes, desirable to make one wise, okay? Jump over to 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. John warns the believers about the things in the world, loving the world. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, ready for three things? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's not of the Father, but it's of the world. The world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of the Father abides forever. Want one more? Parable of the sower and the seed, Mark chapter 4. Just, I have fun with these kinds of things. I like connecting biblical dots, okay? Parable of the sower and the seed, Jesus, and this is great. You ever, you ever need to do a Bible study on the spur of the moment? Go, go to the parable of the sower and the seed. Because... <laughs> It's, instead of having to try to figure out what it says, just read on. Jesus tells you what it, what it means. It's, it's great. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You know, people say, oh, well, what does that mean? What does it mean? Well, just keep reading. Keep reading. He explains it quite well. Okay, so get down to uh, the explanation of the third type of soil. Uh, verse 18 of Mark 4, these are the ones sown among the thorns. They're the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world. Huh. The deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter and choke the, choke the word and becomes unfruitful. Cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, desires for other things. Anybody else ever notice that? Genesis 3, parable of the sower and the seed. First John, John's warning about the things of this world. All have three different types of things. So anyway, just, just uh, you know, Jot those down, you know, next time you're, you're just doing some digging, try to, try to do, make some comparisons. What does that mean for us? Well, it's clear that as having this human nature, being part of the fallen human race, there are things out there that are going to entice us. Each one of us might be a little bit different, you know. I know people that are really enticed by some things that I go, I have no interest in that. At the same time, you know, you take me in a sporting goods store and, and bring me to the, you know, gun section or whatever, and I, I might spend some time, you know. I might, I might be interested in really saying, wow, that's pretty nice. And if I'm not careful, I can get an inappropriate affection saying, that's going to dominate my thinking. i got to have that, okay? Which leads to the next one, which is coveting. Coveting, which is, it's, it goes on to define it as idolatry. Coveting is a greedy desire to have more. Which really means if it's idolatry, it comes to dominate us, comes to take a place that it doesn't belong in. Idolatry means we've got another master. <laughs> right? Jesus said, no man can have two masters, right? So if something, if we covet something, we want it that bad that it takes that prominent position that only God deserves, it becomes idolatry. So he's warning against that. Covetousness. That, that something, some desire, replaces the, 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 where, where God should be, you need to put it to death. You need to take it seriously. 
Think about this. Anybody ever thought of, you know, Jesus in Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount, he says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Better to enter eternity with one arm than not at all. Or if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Now, I used to think, man, are we going to see some one-armed, one-eyed guys in heaven? No. You know why? Because we have new bodies by then. <laughs> right? Think it through, you know. I mean, we, we, we think at that, that, that Jesus, like, come on, you know, that, that's really kind of sick, you know, that people would cut their arm off. What he's saying is, take sin seriously. And I'll tell you this, brothers and sisters, in this day and age, it seems like every week we hear of another high-profile, prominent Christian leader who takes a tumble and takes a fall. And you know what? Just about every time, it's one of these things. It's the guy who ran off with the secretary or the bank account or this greed and this power or this coveting for position or prominence gets him in such a place and it gets exposed. Because why? Because God's not mocked, right? Judgment begins with the house of God. You know, he won't let that happen for the long term within the body. So as believers, and I know this is heavy language, but we need to take sin seriously. And each of us in our own hearts, if we have things that are becoming too prominent or we're off track in them, we need to come before the Lord and get right. And in some cases, there's some dominating things that you might need to just privately seek out a leader, a pastor, an elder, somebody, a leading woman, whatever it might be that's appropriate and, and, and get some help and, and find some accountability if it's, if it's really a life-controlling issue. But the whole thing here, Paul says, is there's things that we need to deal with. Okay, better news coming here, so hang in there. Hang in there. One story, I think, that, that, that is given to us in the Old Testament that um, I'll, I'll kind of leave you to go back and study is the story of Saul. King Saul, and it's in 1 Samuel 15, if you remember, by this time the Lord had spoken to Samuel, who's kind of that, he was kind of in that, that intersectional point between the era of the judges and the you know, people crying out, and then started this reign of kings, right? Samuel's kind of at that hinge point in, in, in Israel's history, but God had spoken to Samuel and said, you know, Saul's, Saul's turned away, Saul's turned away. And, and we're going to have somebody else become the king. But in that battle of the Amalekites, what was he commanded to do? He's commanded to put to death the Amalekites, all the stuff, all the plunder, and their king, Agag. What happened? He didn't do that. He justified it. He made excuses. He tried to spiritualize it. I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. It's in 1 Samuel 15. And what did Samuel call him out for? <laughs> He said, no, you were, supposed to, you were supposed to kill that. And I think, some a lot of Bible guys would agree with me, that gives us kind of the same picture as we get here in Colossians 3. But Paul's saying there's certain things, don't leave them hanging around in your life, okay? If you've had a problem with alcohol, don't rent the apartment next to the bar or the liquor store, okay? Just, just kind of a good idea. You don't want to leave those things hanging around. Just... Those, you know, those are the kinds of basic illustrations. But the example of Saul, 
1 Samuel 15, uh, jot it down if you'd like. Um, one other reference here, you know, we see that word um, coveting. Um, well, two things. Just get, getting into pet peeve or pat peeve time. Um, you, you ever have Christians, and, and maybe I've even been guilty of this myself, but we say, oh, I covet your prayers. You know, I covet your prayers. I look this, through this, and I'm going, wait a minute. Should we be saying that? There's not one place in Scripture, Old Testament or New, where that idea of coveting is used in a positive sense. Not one. Now, I get what people are saying. Please pray for me. You know, that, that, that's what they're saying. I, I really appreciate it when you pray for me. That's great. But let's use different language. Because <laughs> every time biblically the word covet is used or coveting, it's, it's negative. Every time. Every time. So when someone says, I covet your prayers, uh, maybe you guys are, you know, beyond that. But I just, that's just one of, my, one of my pet peeves. The other thing is, watch out for this. When it's, there's talk in several of the letters in the New Testament warn about false teachers, you know what it says? It says they'll use flattery as a cloak or a covering for covetousness. Glad we don't have any of that going on in America today, right? We got any of these televangelists or these pastors that they use flattery. They'll tell you what you want to hear, itching ears, and what's their real desire? It's covetousness. It's their greed. Yeah. So that was warned about 2,000 years ago. And we see it being played out for us right in, you know, in America today. Okay, so that's the second one. Third one, verse 8. But now you yourselves are to put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you've put off the old man with his deeds and you've put on the new man who's renewing knowledge, renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. So the third thing we see here is to put off. Now, to start with, because the next one's going to be put on. So to start with, you can use this example of we change clothes. That, that example doesn't carry all the way through here, but just get the idea here. We're to take off these things, these things that are on the outside. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language, and lying. Just about all those are what? They're how we speak. They're how we speak. But the illustration falls apart because Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So this isn't just saying, Paul's not just saying, oh, use nice words. <laughs> be kind now, like the mom and dad say, come on, you two, get along now, be nice. No, no, no bad words. Yeah, there's times when we need to say that to ourselves and maybe even each other. But this goes deeper than just, you know, be kind and rewind, okay? This is... That was a joke from, for the old people, okay? This talks about the new man. Think 2 Corinthians 5, 17, right? If anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. If, if out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks our words, these words that we're to put off, we need to get rid of them because there's a heart change. And if they're still in there, which by the way, even after walking with the Lord all these years, there's once in a while I'll say something, I'm going, where did that come from? 
whether it's, you know, I got caught off guard or I got tired or frustrated or whatever, and words come out and I go, whoa, I don't think that was good. Okay? There's still junk in there. There's still stuff in there. That transforming work is still going on. I need to continue to invite that process, invite the Holy Spirit to be doing that transforming work. That's what's being talked about here. Romans chapter 12, what does it say in the second verse? Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good, pleasing, acceptable, perfect will of God. There's a transformation that God wants to be doing. So yes, we should be watching our words, absolutely. But ultimately, those words come from a heart, the right type of speech, not lying, not filled with wrath and anger and all those things, comes because we're inviting the Lord to change. So if those things are still coming out of us, maybe it's time to stop and say, Lord, what's going on on the inside that you want to address? Now, at the end of that passage or that, that text, he talks about that there's no distinctions, okay? He says, this is whether there's, there's no Greek or Jew, no circumcised or uncircumcised. To the Christian, we should say, you know what? It really doesn't matter who we are. People get, somehow we got back in American history in the 21st century, we got back into categorizing people on things like race and all these different, it's like, no, we shouldn't be, we're one body, we're one, we're, the, we're one race, the human race, okay? And, and as believers, it's like, there's nobody so special that they don't need the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in their life, okay? All of us need to listen to this. It's not a matter of it's just this group or it's just that group that's got the problem. We all do, we all need this. So the good news is, if we're to put those things off, we're to put something else on. Verse 12 is where we pick it up. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Okay, now we go, all right, this is good. Now we're getting somewhere. This is where we wanted to get to, right? Well, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. God didn't just save us to have us a place in eternity. He certainly wants us to be with him in eternity. But he also saved us to be light, to be making difference makers here in this world as we represent him, as we're his ambassadors. And that means what we put on shines, okay? We're his. So those tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, forbearance, and forgiveness. But all that kind of sounds like the fruit of the Holy Spirit listed for us in Galatians 5, doesn't it? Oh. So if we're to put off that stuff, or to put on this stuff, really, once again, it's coming from the inside. It's coming from the Holy Spirit working in us. So these, this fruit of the Holy Spirit simply demonstrating the, the character of what's going on, right? A fruit tree bears that type of fruit because that's what it is. So for believers, 
that fruit that naturally is produced, especially if it's in a healthy, you know, fertile environment and in good conditions, we're going to bear fruit. Jesus said that's, that's what he wanted for us, right? That we would bear much fruit, that fruit would remain. That's from John's gospel. And above all, to put on love, to put on that love of God, the bond of perfection. This is the re all the result of God's Holy Spirit working in us, I put forth to you. Now, agreed, there's times where we catch ourselves. You know, I go through some drive through and I'm, you know, thinking about something else and I'm kind of short with that person or whatever, you know, and I just go, why wasn't I more kind? <laughs> why wasn't I, you know, gentle, uh, just that, you know, you know kind of confession time. Gentleness doesn't come easy for me, okay? Humor does, I think, but, you know, gentleness, it, uh, that's not my strong suit, okay? And, and so that's been something that the Lord's continually working. We all can make that list, right? We all can say, well, there's some things that are a little tougher, kind of harder for me through the years. Well, that doesn't mean God isn't interested in continually doing that work in us. So we still invite that. Okay, let's get on to the fifth thing here. And this, folks, if you haven't been listening up to now, I, I urge you to pay attention to this one, okay? This is, this is, I believe, the heart of the matter. And this is simply... Three-letter word, let, L-E-T, let. Verse 15, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you're called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is pretty cool because to let something happen, really it's as simple as just inviting what's already available. If you let something happen, you're simply allowing or inviting something to happen that's readily available. And I think that means we're saying, you know what? God is still in control. God's still in the throne. Sun still rises in the east. You know, still sets in the west. And he's still on the throne. And this is the key takeaway. If we're going to let the peace of God rule in our hearts, we're simply allowing how he's revealed himself through creation, through his word, through his Holy Spirit working in our lives. We're allowing him to have his proper place. And if we allow him to have a proper place in our lives, we will have that peace of God. We will. It is available. It is available. It takes faith, takes trust, submitting to him. But that's what we're called to. Remember back in Philippians again, verse, uh, verse uh, 6 of chapter 4, Be anxious for nothing. Everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So if we simply walk in, we're not going to be anxious. God's in control. We're going to pray about everything. Then that peace of God, which passes human understanding, is available to us. So if we just keep in step with what God has provided for us, we let those things happen. If we're not letting those things happen, 
So there, we've got a barrier there. That might be a sin barrier that we need to put to death, or we need to ask the Lord to show us what, what's the hang-up here. What's the hang-up? And then simply confess it and say, okay, God, I, want, I don't want to have a barrier there. I want to have your peace. I want to have your peace. So he says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Also, he says, um, you're called to this in one body and to be thankful. To be thankful. People ask me, you know, how you're doing? Great response that I've come up with through the years is I've got a lot to be thankful for. And I don't even, you know, I say that to any, just about anybody, unbelievers or you know, people I hardly know. How are you doing? Well, I have a lot to be thankful for. And, and so I, I hope those words reflect a heart that is genuinely grateful for what God has done. Ah, then the next part of this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Yes, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. We do this individually. We have Bibles available. In fact, never in human history has there been more opportunity to, to, to be in the Word of God. Whether it's on your phone, the Bible apps, different, different things. There's, there's devotional plans you can get. If you know, are looking for some ways, you say, ah, you know, I'm just not real good at reading my Bible. or looking for something. Talk to me afterward. I got some, got some ideas. Our daughter works for Enduring Word Commentary, David Gusick's, um, and they're now putting some of their David's commentary out on you version of the Bible on a, on a devotional basis, um, plus different Bible reading plans. If you've never been much of a Bible reader, I, I challenge you. Set a goal to read the New Testament in a year. You know how much that takes? Ten minutes. Five days a week. You can take the weekend off. You can take two days off. Okay? If you read one chapter of the New Testament per day, five days a week, you will finish the New Testament in exactly, to the day, one year. One year. Ten minutes, read a chapter. That's all it takes. People think, oh, reading the Bible, that's going to take a lot of time. No. No, it doesn't. We can do that. So we need to let that dwell in us richly, individually. But then also corporately. Now, if you're here at Calvary Chapel, you've discovered that you know, the Word of God is taken pretty seriously. We, we set a goal to teach through the Word. We want to help you to be those mature believers, as Paul talked about back in chapter 1, right? His goal was to present these people mature followers of Jesus. And the Word of God plays a prominent role in that process. But then also amongst us, so we, we let the word dwell richly individually and, and then corporately, but then also in our fellowship. And, and uh, it, it's just something I've been kind of challenged by is the idea of, do I have interaction with others around the word of God? See, I'm, I'm, a, I'm born and raised in Minnesota, you know, and typically you talk about three or four different things, right? Got to know the weather forecast or be able to complain about the weather, right? I mean, that, that's, that happens. Should probably, especially if you're in an agriculture area, know the price of corn or what's going on with the crops. Uh, if you're in the urban area, there's different issues. But then you also should know something about a sports team going on, right? You know, what's, what's going on with the, well, give up on the Twins, but the Vikings, you know, if, if they're ever going to learn how to win a ball game, those kind of things, you know. Um, or a local sports team, whatever it is, right? That, 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 that's who we are. We're Minnesota nice, and we, we talk about those things. And then those aren't wrong. Those aren't bad. 
But if we're going to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, this has always challenged me a little bit. It's like I want to bring the word of God into my fellowship with other people. And even my conversations when that person out of the blue, non-believer, some relative at a family reunion, whatever, whacks you with some hot button issue. <laughs> do I have a biblical response to that? Do I have an answer to that that's loving, kind, but also true and, and lines up with the word of God? Yeah, ah, that one's been more challenging, but it's been kind of fun to see, fun to see. The last part of that talks about how even our music, songs, choruses, amongst the fellowship of believers, songs will get stuck in your head, right? <laughs> my daughter was teasing me because uh, in my truck right now, I got an old DC Talk CD, and I was just blasting it the other day, you know? But man, those songs get running through my head, you know? And so the music that God gives us, is, it, it's pretty, it can be pretty powerful. And so oftentimes the, th the songs, courses that we sing, those sorts of things can also be encouragement one, one to another. So the whole idea here is whatever we do, let the word dwell in us richly. Let that peace of God rule in our hearts. We invite what's readily available. The word's readily available. Peace of God's readily available if you've trusted in Christ. Okay. Now the rest of the chapter, I'm not going to go into detail here. We go through husbands and wives. Some, some uh, just very uh, direct, one, one verse each. Children and, and fathers, one verse each. There is one here that I want to point out, though, because by the end of the chapter, you get into bond servants, which I think very well correlates to employees and employers. And it rolls into chapter 4, verse 1. I don't know who did the chapter breaks here, but they, uh, I think they did a lousy job. But <sighs> chapter and verses aren't inspired okay <laughs> that was done later <laughs> like like the chapter and verse things happened like a few hundred years ago not not when the bible was written so so chapter 4 verse 1 really goes with chapter chapter 3 but chapter 3 verse 23 take a glance at that one and this is i think kind of all encompassing here whatever you do do it heartily as to the lord and not to men knowing that from the Lord you, re you receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord. It's in the context of our work. So we should go to work with the idea that we're representing the Lord, really working as unto him. And so we should do it heartily. This is, this is what, when I started out, and I see you know, the kid who says, I don't have to do algebra because it's, not, it's the things of this world, and the pastor said I'm supposed to be thinking about the things of, you know, above. Now, if you're in your work, Christians, you should be a good example in your work. You should be working heartily, not just when the boss's eyes are on you, okay? We should, we should be good employees. We should be focused. We should do what we do well to the glory of God. So, so that's the, how the chapter ends is, is the whole idea of relationship. So there we have it, Colossians chapter 3, how we live it out. So in your life, whether things are going really well, or if you've gone through some difficult times. Maybe it's a real trial. Maybe it's a health crisis. Maybe this last year and a half has been tough. Um, it has for many, many people. The changes that have, are, are, have, have been present in our, in our life have, have really been challenging for many, many people. Maybe things are going great. Whatever it is, let's keep our mindset, that foundational mindset, based on 
that relationship we have with Christ, that it's heavenly minded. And, you know, people say, oh, he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. I'm not so sure about that. And I get the idea that someone who's just, you know, clueless as to what's going on around him. But scripture would almost say the opposite. If we're too earthly minded, can we be any heavenly good? Just putting it out there. Neither one of them is biblical, they're just cultural. Okay? And then make sure we take any sin that is um, going to drag us down, take it seriously, even to the point of execution. And then we put off and put on. Um, and not so much like you, you know, take all these old clothes and bring them to the thrift store and go buy some new ones. Eh, that analogy works for just a little bit, but mostly we realize that what we put off and put on is a result of what's going on inside. Inside meaning, are we allowing the Holy Spirit of God to really do that renewing work on a regular basis, ongoing basis? We, let, we do that by letting the peace of God rule in our hearts, recognizing God's sovereignty, and letting the word dwell in us richly. Then we can continue to invite him to work in our lives. Understand just a little bit better how to live in this crazy world. We know a little bit better how to respond to those people that kind of get us riled up. And we can keep in step with him and the work he's doing regardless of what goes on in the world. So with that, join me as we pray.